Hello and welcome to the second episode of Drill to Detail, a new podcast series hosted by me, Mark Whitman, and where I'll be talking to a special guest each week about some of the issues and thoughts and ideas behind the news and what's happening in the big data analytics and data warehousing industry. Okay, so this episode's guest is Dan McClary. Someone I've known for a little while now, uh, back from my Oracle days, really, or working with Oracle. Uh, Dan was one of the was the PM for um, Big Data SQL, which probably most of you heard of as being Oracle's take, I suppose, on on SQL on Hadoop. And uh, and Dan uh, recently actually joined Google. Um, so actually, Dan, I'll let you let you introduce yourself first of all, and just tell everyone who you are and what you've been doing. Yeah, hi. So thank you, Mark, for having me on. Um, so uh, my my route to Google has been a little a little. Uh, Twisted. Um, I started off as a researcher many years ago, um, went and played the startup game for a little bit. And then, as you mentioned, was at Oracle for a number of years working on distributed SQL problems and SQL on Hadoop. Um, and, and yes, now I've joined Google and, and look after things related to the SQL language as well as to things like block storage business. Um, so largely, I'm part of, our, uh, part of the product management team for Google's cloud platform. Um, and and I should say right at the at the beginning that any opinions expressed here are my own and do not reflect those of either Oracle or Google or you know any startups that I might have played with in the in the past. Excellent. So thanks, Dan. And yeah, it's great to have you on here. Um, and uh, I'm really, I suppose, interested in in your take on on the SQL and Hadoop sort of market and, and just generally, I suppose, really how the kind of big vendors and and how the small vendors really are kind of doing in this space and. We'll come on to later on, really, kind of, I suppose, some of the things that are coming out of, kind of Google and, and Yahoo, and, and I suppose where you see the market and where you see things going in terms of, I suppose, Hadoop for enterprise customers and for my area, which is kind of BI analytics and so on, really. Um, so, Dan, let, let's start off then, really, with something that I suppose most people would know you for, which is the kind of area of SQL on Hadoop. Okay, so as I said earlier on, you were the PM for uh, Oracle Big Data SQL, which was kind of one of the, obviously, Oracle's take on this. Um, so, Dan, do you want to tell us, first of all, actually, what, what were you doing with Big Data SQL and what was the problem it was trying to solve? Uh, let's talk about that first of all, then, really. Sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, broadly speaking, when I think SQL on Hadoop has become almost an overloaded term at this point because depending on who the implementer or who the vendor is, the motivation technically may be somewhat different. Uh, I think the I think the, the the common motivation across both open source products and small vendors and large vendors is the economics of how we do large scale data analysis have have shifted or are shifting. And to some extent this means that Many of our large-scale warehousing systems, many of our analytical systems are, are moving to more distributed, not necessarily strictly distributed, but more distributed constructs. And, and I think when we think about SQL on Hadoop, on Hadoop as sort of a broader category, what you're, what you're seeing is different kinds of initiatives to take advantage of the fact that distributed file systems have become reasonable to operate and cost efficient to maintain, um, and so, so then with Oracle, what we were what we were effectively looking at was there are many customers who run large Oracle data warehouses. Um, the cost of turning down such a system can have tremendous impact to a business, um, and could be quite challenging. And then, is there a, a, a sane and rational way to take advantage of 
the growing economic benefits of distributed file systems while still maintaining a declarative language interface querying all of your data. And so from that perspective, I think the notion is you run Oracle SQL on a data warehouse, now extend it with the, you know, the Hadoop distributed file system and be able to, to harness more power from that distributed environment with reasonable economics and lower risk. I think it's a bit different if you're if you're a startup uh, on the order of you know something like Cloudera or Hortonworks. You're, I think you're very often looking at trying to 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 enable users who have decided that they want to take further further steps to sort of distance themselves from whatever their their traditional infrastructure is, and and that may be in fact buying into an entirely new query engine. Um, thus, we see sort of the rise of things like Impala, um, things like Hive, and and ultimately, uh, uh, you know, both the Tezos project and then Phoenix, which they now support at Hortonworks. Um, and then I, I think for the open source community in general, there is this notion that s distributed systems for scalable storage are, to some extent, solved. If we're simply talking about storing bytes in something that behaves like a file system, it, it is maybe not painless, but it is somewhat solved. And and if that's the case, then what are the tools that need to be built in order to do real query processing and real declarative language driven analysis of data in those environments. And thus we see the rise of things like Hive, the rise of things like Drill potentially. Um, so I think the motivation broadly is the economics of data management are shifting, thus the SQL language and its, its ability to act on data at scale also needs to shift. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, th I think kind of broadly, you, you could you could argue that I suppose the big vendors supporting uh, SQL on Hadoop and Hadoop, it's classic kind of, I wouldn't say embrace and extend, but certainly it was always very obvious that the data was you know, with Big Data SQL, for example, the output of that was always going to be Oracle. You know, you, when you, you could select against uh, Hadoop, but then the data always came out via Oracle. So you were still kind of locked in, I suppose, to, to that. But if you were looking to do, um, I suppose, uh, query offloading, you know, data warehouse offloading and so on, it was a very good way of doing that. And and, and so certainly for customers that were heavily invested in either Oracle or, C or SQL Server or whatever, it, it's perfect in that, in that respect, isn't it? But I think the more, the more kind of organic um, SQL on Hadoop engines that are purely SQL on Hadoop, you know, kind of Hive and Impala and Drill and so on, it's a bit different really, isn't it? And that's where I think certainly there's been different kind of branches of innovation there really, haven't there? Yeah. I And in fact, I think when I when I look at the, the sort of newer approaches to, to performing, let's just call it SQL on Hadoop, you look at something like Impala, for example, or you look at Drill, or you look at the sort of parent of many of these, um, which was the Dremel project at Google, um, a paper about which was written a number of years ago, and that Google actually exposes to the world as a, as a system called BigQuery. Uh, one of the things I think is really fundamentally interesting is all of the available research suggests that at a certain scale, distributed query processing requires a shift from more normalized data models, sort of 3NF and beyond, um, to something that actually includes nested fields and repeated fields. And so, you know, we see this with sort of JSON fields, we see this with nested and repeated J uh, fields within, you know, systems like Impala that can have child tables. Um, and I, one of the really interesting lessons that sort of emerged both from the research and then also from the open source community is when you want to talk about doing really, really broadly distributed SQL processing, you actually have to start thinking about what can we nest, what can we repeat, 
simply because the processing will eventually become too cha- too challenging if you try and broadcast all of those joints. Yes, yes. Inter- I mean, interesting. And and so, I mean, one of the things I noticed w- was that um, obviously each vendor, IBM, Microsoft, and so on, had a take on this. And it struck me, I'm not, you know, obviously my background is in, is in Oracle, but it struck me that Big Data SQL was probably a sort of fair bit ahead of, of, of kind of what what IBM were doing, you know, and so on and so forth. I mean, again, I'm conscious of kind of things you can and can't say, but did how, how did you feel, I suppose, the different vendors, you know, the mega vendors in terms of how they did things? Were they all broadly the same solution or did, did the vendors take different approaches and any kind of like preferences or ideas on those at all? I mean, I think, I think you know, the commonality among, among the mega vendors that, that we see is, is that it is more important to sort of continued integrity of business process and and then ultimately most most important to the vendor to maintain the processing logic to maintain the the statement itself not necessarily the the underlying storage or some of the execution underneath it um i i like to think that that at least at least with what we did at oracle i think the ambition was understanding that there are open apis that are becoming real standards, right? I think you can look at the, I think you can look at the HDFS APIs and say, you know what, these are largely solid. We see them supported not only across Hadoop distributions, but also by cloud vendors. Um, for example, you know, you can, you can use a, you know, HDFS APIs to talk to Amazon's S3 or to Google's, uh, cloud storage. Um, and, and if that is the case, then any reasonable, extension of a mega vendor SQL system needs to to respect and and take proper advantage of of those APIs um, and I think that gave us a I think that gave Oracle a, 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 an advantage in so much as it allowed it, it allows that solution to take good advantage of the innovation that is happening in that community as those APIs become standard and as the underlying functionality in the open source community um, develops. I think I, I, I think the approaches that, that Microsoft and IBM have taken are also very interesting. Um, I think they are much more suited to perhaps what their the the bulk of their customers wish to see, which is simply I'm able to to treat that as a a reasonable sor- sense source of byte storage that is lower cost, and I'm not hugely concerned about integration with a rapidly evolving field. Yeah, uh, in- interesting, and and so I suppose again respecting kind of you know your position before. I mean, how much take up do you, in the market in general? I suppose really within kind of traditional um, traditional data warehouse customers, how much take up do you do you see out there of these kind of big vendors kind of SQL on Hadoop engines? I'm conscious of how many times I've spoken at conferences, how many times you have as well, and and so on there, and. You, you tend to see that there is, you know, there's understanding of this idea of doing what we do now kind of cheaper. But something I see less of is people using these SQL and Hadoop engines in, in a kind of innovative way. So, you know, using it against, say, Mongo, using it um, in, in, against nested sources. What was your feeling about the, the take up and the, right, and the degree of innovation you were seeing with these engines by these customers? To, to be honest, at least, you know, I, the, I think the two broad things I noticed um, and, and still tend to, to tend to think and maybe maybe let's extend it to three broad things. I think I think the first I think the first thing that I noticed is that for its early days for all of this. Right. And and, you know, 
many many organizations are still very much in a tire kicking phase, which maybe doesn't lead to wild wild experimentation or innovation. Um, and and I think I think organizations are trying to to understand whether or not they are going to consume things like SQL on Hadoop strictly from their existing vendors of, of preference, or whether or not they're going to break with tradition. Um, there was a there was a Gartner webcast maybe about a year ago in which they sort of ran a survey uh, with the folks on the phone and sort of asked like, well, where are you likely to get your SQL on Hadoop? Like from an open source project, from you know Cloudera or Hortonworks, or from your database vendor? And it was really it was very split. It was very split between you know what we're going to go with whoever our vendor is today, or we're going to try one of these open source projects. I think I think there's a lot of sorting out to be done. I think I think the other thing that maybe slows some of the adoption here is I do I do think that SQL and Hadoop is actually as a movement while it has has led to sort of a fascinating amount of sort of open source innovation I think as a market it is it is actually strongly in competition with the broader shift to cloud um, in, in so much as if you talk about well, I need I, I I need to lower my infrastructure costs. I I need to get access to to querying more data. There's a real there's a real question as to whether or not that is best done by deploying vendor X's SQL and Hadoop solution, or by migrating to to you know some of the growing cloud databases that exist, cloud data warehouses that exist, or even the sort of managed Hadoop things that you see from Elastic MapReduce, Google Data Proc, things like that. Um, so I think there's a I think there's a there's an underlying race in terms of where will the infrastructure settle that that is maybe undercutting some of the adoption of SQL on Hadoop at large scale. I, I agree, and I, I think that certainly, I mean, there's <clears throat> yes. So, so cloud is one thing, and obviously, you know, Oracle, for example, have you know the big big data SQL in the cloud as, as an option there as well. But if you're looking to store a lot of stuff cheaply at high, a big scale, and so on, then other vendors out there, I mean, Snowflake DB is an example out there, and, and so on, where yeah, really, in fact, it's Hadoop or not Hadoop is really irrelevant. It's just an abstracted kind of elastic store of data. Then certainly, I guess the other thing really is when you're looking at, say, vendor SQL and Hadoop solutions compared to, say, open source, cost is, is not insignificant, really. And and we'll get on later on to talk about, I suppose, how, how well the big vendors you think will do in this kind of area. But cost is an issue as well. And it's kind of, in a way, counterintuitive sometimes to kind of pay a lot of money for these vendor solutions when the, normally people expect this to be kind of free through open source. It's true. I, I mean, I think one thing that that is the, that is a real uh, a bright line between what you get in the open source community and what you get from any vendor is that any sufficiently mature vendor integration will likely have more capabilities around security, around governance, around metadata management. And I think for larger organizations, that's going to matter quite a lot. Um, Again, business continuity, regulatory compliance—like these are these are real issues for for a, a number of organizations. And it may be such that if you are a traditional RDBMS vendor and you've already taken care of everything around, you know, encryption and session isolation, and you are HIPAA compliant and you are, you know, SOX compliant, and so on and so forth, that well, you may not have the most novel extension to query processing. You may you may have such an entrenched advantage in compliance that you will naturally pick up some amount of customer. 
So, so I suppose a tangent to this, really, I, mean, I totally agree with what you're saying there. I think, you know, we sometimes forget how important this stuff is to, to real customers. Um, what, one issue I had, I suppose, when, when Oracle Big Data SQL first came out was, was almost a philosophical one, which I kind of saw it as, as there, was a, say, there was a good blog post a while ago by a guy called Jeff Needham who talked about how, how Hadoop is not just a cheap enterprise data warehouse. And, you know, and, and running SQL on Hadoop sometimes is, is missing the point. And I, and I get the point of there are certain tasks that suit kind of set-based processing. But I suppose, you know, how, in a way, how, how much do you feel that in a way the, the, the kind of energy and the, the kind of movement around SQL and Hadoop is almost missing the point of what Hadoop is about? I mean, do you think, do you think it's a valid point or, or do you think actually that all things will I, converge on that in the end? I mean, I, I suppose I do and I don't, I, I, which, is, which is probably not a great answer. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that it's easy to look at, at SQL and Hadoop or, or, or using big data systems for data warehousing as, as not taking full advantage of the advance in technology with respect to how we deal with scale. Um, and, you know, we can certainly look at, at some of the more interesting architectures that have come around, things like Lambda architectures, things like Kappa architectures, and say, like, oh, there's so much more you could be doing. Um, however, ultimately, I, I suppose maybe the best way to think about this is I'm, I'm currently working on a blog post, and I need to make some figures for it, and I'm, I'm analyzing a bunch of data. And I could make any number of sort of wonderful, interesting charts. Um, but ultimately, when I sort of went through to try and tell the most eff effective story with the data, I discovered that most of what I wanted was bar charts. Because bar charts got the message across. And, and a lot of what we want to do with data comes down to data warehousing kinds of workloads, you know, SQL kinds of workloads. And maybe I'm just making bar charts. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So um, just before we get on to the, the next bit, I mean, what, what, a product I've seen in this area that I've been surprised at how much I've been impressed by it is, is Drill from uh, you know, the Apache sort of uh, project. Um, any, any sort of thoughts on Drill or I suppose some of the engines that are less traditional in how they do things? Um, I suppose, again, a bit of context for this is one of the things that I've noticed about using SQL on Hadoop is, is a lot of it is, is just doing the same thing, but in a, in a cheaper or more scalable way than you used to do with, say, Oracle. You, know, you define columns, you, you define metadata. Drill seems quite different. Any, any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, I, I, you know, I've been watching Drill with some interest over the last several years. I think, you know, Drill's, Drill's original ambition was to effectively be something like an open source Dremel. Um, and, and I think it's, I think it's moved to a really interesting space in which it is really pushing the bounds of, of what we think of as SQL. Um, it's certainly sort of far deviant from what we think of as a anti, anti 2011 SQL. And I think that's, I think that is interesting. And I think, I think it is the other thing I, I sort of compare it to is some of the things that we've seen in Spark 2.0, where we're starting to see the sort of typed semi-declarative uh, language constructs around data sets. And to me, what it speaks to, and, and again, this is just, just me sort of thinking out loud about it, is that it speaks to uh, a, a, real, a, a real renewed interest in the power of declarative language. Um, and, and I think that's really, really compelling. I don't know if drill will be the thing, um, but I think what we will see is that increasingly we will see greater expressiveness and flexibility in declarative languages that are perhaps SQL-like. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's a I think it's a powerful concept that and and I think it's interesting that people are remembering like, oh yeah, like there are many other you know types of expressions that I would like to declare and still get the power of 
having something that optimizes and executes on my behalf. Exactly, exactly. I mean, for, for me, you know, SQL is, is one form of engine that you can put over your, do, your data in Hadoop, really. And, and certainly having that there is useful. I think the innovation that I'm seeing in things like Drill and also some of the things we can do around, say, Query Federation with, say, Spark SQL, um, some of the stuff coming out, some of the vendors around Data Fabric and so on as well. I mean, it's kind of interesting sort of area. I mean, and that kind of in a way leads on to probably the next thing I'll talk to you about. Now, Dan, obviously you were at Oracle and that's how how I know you and how most people probably listen to this know you. But you, you moved on to, to Google now, presumably because there was interesting things going on there. Um, in general, one of the things that you, you start to sort of notice about the whole Hadoop kind of uh, and big data area is that everything that we see now was invented 10 years ago at, at kind of Google, at, at Yahoo and, and so on there. You know, what, what are you seeing out there at the moment? What, what are some of the sort of the trends and ideas that you're seeing happening? It's probably kind of, you know, in those areas that we might hit on in the future, really. Well, I mean, I think the two things I would say. One is, you know, yes, it's it's absolutely right to sort of look at at sort of the history of Google Papers over the last you know decade or so, and sort of say, hey, look at you know this is really the the sort of origination point of a lot of the ideas that end up in the in the broader big data ecosystem. Um, I think one of the things I'm noticing is that the pa- the the time lag between the the sort of research publications we produce at Google and and their emergence as as entities in the open source ecosystem is 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 shortening, which is really really interesting, and we're trying to play a bigger role in that as well. Um, and I, I think when I look at what we're what we're publishing on and what we're helping work to expose more broadly in the community, there there are two things that two or three things that really stand out to me. Um, one, which I think probably doesn't need a lot of introduction, is is the machine learning work we've done around TensorFlow. Um, the The amount of interest the community has had around TensorFlow has been really, really tremendous. And the fact that it's all being done in the open as an open source project, I think is going um, to... So, so do you want to just explain what, what actually is TensorFlow? I mean, I know, but for the audience, what is TensorFlow? And, and why is that so sort of significant and interesting now? So, so TensorFlow is... is it, it, at a high level, it is it is a framework for doing large scale deep learning um, using Python and precompiled C code. Um, it's exceptionally flexible, exceptionally powerful, um, and and it's a it's a tool set we use to solve a lot of problems at Google. Um, now, by by open sourcing it, we've we've brought to to the larger community not only the ability to sort of quickly define um, very powerful deep learning models, um, but at the same time also the infrastructure necessary to run those things at scale. So that you can there's a TensorFlow server that you can run in a distributed fashion on anyone's cloud or in your data center that allows you then to build these models at scale and very rapidly, as well as to begin to introspect them and understand and where model performance is varying um, and how you might build better models. And that's, that's I think if deep learning is going to become something that becomes part of a, a, an analyst or a data scientist sort of standard toolkit, it's projects like TensorFlow and the things that the community is sort of building around it that will really help push it, really push it into the hands of more and more, you know, analysts and data scientists and, and even beyond. 
Okay. Okay. So it's interesting you say about about machine learning and so on. Um, so I mean, I, I've been I'm speaking at OUTAG Casecope next week, and I, I'm doing a session um, on using machine learning on on, on uh, wearables data. So I've been um, gathering in all my data on 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 from my Fitbit and from the bike and from the house and all that kind of stuff, and then bringing it into one place and then applying you know uh, Python based machine learning on it. But one of the things that keeps striking me is 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 when you don't know what you're doing and when you don't understand, when you don't get some of the kind of concepts around you know data having to be a measure for every kind of like for every kind of row and, and so on and the different kind of um i suppose uh, algorithms and so on you're really one you're really lost and secondly you're in you potentially into the kind of realms of, of being quite dangerous do you think machine learning will ever be democratized do you think it will ever be something where anyone can do that or is it always going to be a scientific thing really i mean going back to tensorflow and so on there is it going to become mass i, I suspect or, or, or it will what? but i suspect it will be consumed in different ways um i think you can i think you can look at some of what we do at google around exposing machine learning to, to end users as a as a way in which it might in a way in which it might become consumerized in so much as you can, you know, TensorFlow is open source, you can use it, you can build your own models. Um, but at the same time, if you say, I don't really have the the, the time or sophisticated understand how to build an image classification model, Google then offers up its own vision API by which you don't have to worry about uh, you know, how you construct your model, how the network should be formed. You can simply say, this is my training set. These are the images I send. Or simply, I have an image, tell me what's in it. And and so I think to some extent, the the, the sort of, there will be there will be the people who want to craft their own models. And there will be people who simply want to say, I, I you know, I have a I have a data set, give me the bar chart, right? The, the, the effect of the bar chart for images or text or speech I, and i think machine learning will become democratized in different ways mm, yeah okay um we'll come back to that in a moment actually um but what one i guess you you joined google from oracle and we all know oracle is, is kind of fantastic and, and so on there um but you you i mean you mentioned early on about about in a way kind of sql the question will become less about the engine and more about things like the cloud and so on i mean do you see i suppose initiatives going on in google and other places really where um, thing, you know, I suppose in a way, will we'll cloud, we'll, we'll cloud become more of this, and will we'll big data and machine learning be more in the cloud? And how, how, I suppose, in a way, how do you see the areas that Google kind of work in as as, as big impacting on how this is going to the future, particularly areas you're working in? I I I I think the shift to cloud will actually become a more pronounced advantage for organizations over the next several years. And 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 the reason the reason I say this is just. You know, the experience I've had sort of looking at how, let's take SQL and Hadoop as a, as a good example of this, at how the benefits of the benefits of these technologies are truly enhanced by scale, um, such that, you know, if you, if you set up a little pseudo-distributed Hadoop cluster and you run, say you run Impala or you run Hive or something like that, like, you'll get reasonable performance and then maybe you move up like a five-machine cluster um, and you'll get much more reasonable performance. And maybe you move up to a full rack of servers and you get much more reasonable performance. But what we see economically with, with cloud deployments is that you can have at your, at your instantaneous disposal thousands of cores, tens of thousands of cores potentially, and tremendous sorts of throughput of networked and disks. And and I think what will what will ultimately be a huge advantage for consumers of data or consumers of data analysis is the ability to say, 
because the density of infrastructure is increasingly increasingly concentrated in large cloud providers, I can achieve real the real benefits of economy of scale on my queries because I am using vast resources for very short periods of time. Interesting. I mean, yeah. So I don't know if you noticed there was a, a couple of um, interesting blog posts that were published recently that, that come on, come to this sort of area. So there was a, a post by a guy called Marco Arment, who's a, an Apple uh, blogger, and he 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 posted this article kind of say that if anything brings down Apple or, or certainly leads to the eclipse of Apple, it will be uh, its lack of investment in machine learning. So the, the background to that really, I suppose, is in the fact that Apple refuses for various reasons to, you know, in a way, kind of capture lots of your personal data and then work on it centrally. It wants, wants to use apps. Um, and that's an area that Microsoft and Google have been investing in it a lot, really. Um, and there was also an article, I think it was Stephen Levy uh, yesterday, posted about how how Google is now becoming uh, effectively a machine learning first company. I mean, do, do you think, do you think, I mean, the investment they're making, are you seeing this is very strategic to them? And do you think that there's kind of, I don't know if you saw those blog posts, but do you think there's kind of like, you know, a point there really? Yeah, I saw, I saw Stephen Levy's uh, blog post and, and I, and I think, you know, certainly, certainly the, the stance we take as an organization is machine learning is incredibly important to what Google does and, and increasingly part of more and more of the products that we bring to market. And I, I think two things to, to note. One, we, we and, and Facebook and many other large organizations have a tremendous amount of data that we can, we can leverage to user advantage. Um, and that could be from everything, everything from query planning to figuring out what's in an image to recommending what restaurant you should eat at. Um, I think that I think the real challenge and a, a thing that is it is always always top of mind at Google is that that this must be done in a way in which in which no one's privacy is actually compromised. Uh, and I think I think this is a real I think this a really interesting challenge that 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 consumers of, of potential technologies cons- should consider and also maybe more particularly data scientists and analysts who are exploring machine learning exploring processing at scale need to keep in mind is that you know at some point you 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 are embodied with your users trust and it should mean that you you may process every every byte of data that you have very very efficiently and to to great effect, but you should never be able to to put it in a situation in which it might be compromised. And and ultimately, when you look at places like Google, you should not be able to see it. I agree, and I think going back to your your original kind of you know your job, I knew you from Big Data SQL at Oracle. So, certainly, my experience has been that that a lot of projects, a lot of big data projects I've worked on. When the customer gets to that point when they suddenly realize the amount of data that's under their custodianship and the responsibility they have, that is, is where I found that <clears throat> Oracle's solution with the ability to kind of apply security over it was important. But I think generally perceptions are, are really important. And, and people, at the moment, there's, I think there's a, general, there's a general kind of I suppose, benign feeling that if they get value out of this data, it's worth doing. But, but opinion can shift quite significantly. And um, certainly, I think that people very, have to be very mindful of security, of privacy, and the perception of that really as well. Um, so, so absolutely, I agree on that. And um, so, one question before we get on to the last part was, uh, why, in your view, I mean, why did why did Oracle, sorry, why did Google and and everyone publish all this all, all these white papers? So, if you look at the whole Hadoop kind of movement, it, it really is it kind of effectively re- or certainly the open source movement has been re-implementing everything Oracle's been, everything Google has been uh, 
documenting uh, and so on. Why, why do they publish all this stuff and why do they kind of in a way lay out how they do things in such and such detail? Well, I, I think I think there are probably a, a, a number of motivations for this. I mean, one one very obvious motivation is that there are a number of people at Google who who have very strong research backgrounds and are very interested in contributing to the scientific literature because it's part of their it's part of what's important to them. I think I think the other part actually can be can be traced all the way back to to Google's mission statement in terms of trying to organize the world's information, make it useful and accessible accessible to everyone. Um, you know, the work that we've done on, you know, systems like Dremel, systems like Spanner, systems like Dataflow, which I which I think is turning into a really a, a exciting Apache project called Team. I think we at Google view this as part of the world's information and, and we need to make it useful and accessible to everyone. And while we can't necessarily give everyone a Dremel in their own data center, we can make services like BigQuery available. But 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 in the in the lag time we can make that that information about how we see SQL at scale working or how we see data flow processing working at scale and we can make it accessible to the world by publishing research papers. Mm, I agree and, and, and so, certainly I mean I, I've, I've, I've worked not, well I've been at Google before and I've spoken to people there and, and it's always struck me how, how kind of like altruistic some of this stuff is I mean obviously Google is Google it's a company and so on there but certainly um, I, I wouldn't kind of um, I would not the fact that certainly this stuff had been published and, and shared and I know from my own experience that certainly you know I gain more out of sharing things and the world gains more out of it really as well so I, I can sort of see why really so um so actually on, on on a sort of tangential point to this really or, or I suppose in a way carrying on so so Dan you worked at Oracle for a while and and you've observed the kind of the, I suppose the big vendors um operating in this kind of Hadoop space here really and I guess probably um there, there, must, there must be a kind of, a, a, I suppose, a, a, a contradiction or tension in there, really, between wanting to kind of, I suppose, like yourself, want to build the best kind of um, implementation of, of a SQL on Hadoop engine or to get Oracle to work with Hadoop, with the fact that, you know, there is a chance of, of cannibalizing the business you've got. And this must, in a way, apply to, you know, all of the big vendors that have a commercial kind of model that are now kind of working in this space that was all about, in a way, um, doing things uh, cheaper and at scale. And... From also that applies even to things like consultancies. So, um, you know, is there a market for, for high-end consultancy in the Hadoop market and, and so on? So I suppose the question to you is, you know, how relevant do you think the old world um, uh, mega vendors are in the Hadoop world? Do you think they're going to be, do you think they've got a point to it? Or do you think they'll be, or do you think it'll be eclipsed over time really? So, I, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the virtue of a mega vendor, right, when you look at Microsoft, you look at, at Oracle, you look at IBM, is that it, there's a great diversification in the, the, the products and services that they can make available to their customers. Uh, I, I think, I, I think it, to that extent, they, there will always be some amount of relevance that can be maintained. I think, I think the question is, where are, and certainly, when I was at Oracle, cannibalization of a business unit was something that you know thought about quite a lot. Um, you know, you, there were obviously you know entrenched threats from from the NoSQL market, entrenched threats from from the sort of larger Hadoop market and the big data market. And I, I think, I, I think if I had you know candid advice I could give to any mega vendor, it would be uh, it would be first and foremost stop selling hardware, um, because the 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 density of hardware concentration used for enterprise computing across the planet is consolidated right i mean if you look at if you look at data centers that that amazon is building data centers that microsoft is building data centers that that even companies like oracle are, are beginning to build the 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 notion that we want to go out and and sell a hard drive or sell a file server is 
it's becoming an increasingly difficult economic argument to make um, in so much as it, capital expenditures are necessary for many businesses, but but some of these don't necessarily make sense. Um, I think the other I think the other piece of it we we talked a little bit about earlier in so much as the greatest business value, I think, for the vendors is is in fact owning execution owning the query and in part that also provides the greatest business continuity for, for existing users I would hope that that would be where things shift um, I, I think it probably varies based on what sort of revenue streams a given vendor sees from their hardware lines versus their software products and building data centers is hard building data centers is a really really hard task and 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 the uh, the amount of sort of investment not only to to provide the facilities but then also to provide the people who understand how to maintain site reliability at scale is 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 a real challenge that I think I think some of the mega vendors are are reacting to it very well I think Microsoft does a very good job of this um, I think companies like Oracle are learning how to do this. Mm. Uh, yeah, definitely. It's tricky, though. It is. It's tricky. It definitely. I mean, certainly from my, from my experiences, you know, I've I've been in uh, sales engagements with 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 Oracle and, and so on in the past, and certainly going in there and and the first conversation you have with a customer is trying to sell them in their case, you know, a, a big data appliance, is an unusually kind of it's an unusual conversation to have because typically, you know, the person you're speaking to does not want to talk about you know hardware. And they want to talk about the vision and the idea around things. And, and certainly my analogy at the time is like, it's like going into a kind of an audio shop, hi-fi audio shop. And you want to hear how good the music is and you want to hear what it's going to sound like to have, you know, to have this fantastic music playing. But then the actual kind of salesman is trying to sell, sell you a, a very high-end walnut cabinet with monster cables and, and so on there. And, and, and it's, yeah, there, there's a point of that, but it's probably not what the customer wants to hear at that point. And, like, you know, really the margin on, on hardware is, is, is minimal. And so it's, it, it was an unusual kind of, uh, I suppose, angle to have. And, and you must have experienced that quite a lot with, with Big Data SQL, where at the start there was this dependency on it and it having to be, with big with with the kind of big data appliance and with exadata and obviously part of that part i'd imagine i imagine you probably can't say part of that probably is 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 for technical reasons because infinity band but part of it probably is because that's the you know it supports wider objectives really and and but you in the end you managed to get it to be or you managed to get it to be kind of freed from those restrictions i mean was that quite a battle there or or, or that was your last thing you did really wasn't it before you left it it was the it was the very last thing I did at Oracle. Yes, was was get us get get that product to a point where it could be available effectively to a much broader use of a uh, group of customers. And I, I I think I think I think it 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 in part represents a, a I think it, it in part and I think maybe the mo- main motivator for me and the main if there were battle lines drawn the main battle line was effectively that there is greater value in doing this for all users um, than than there is protecting a specific business business area um, because long term I think custo- I think technology companies are are at least in the modern age most successful when they put their users first um, it is it is it is interesting though you know we think about sort of you know the the comments on hardware but you'd asked about whether or not there's still a market for high-end consultancies around data and I think I think the the answer is perhaps maybe more than ever because as as we get further and further away from having to buy the nice, you know, having to first buy the nice walnut cabinet to hear what the music's like, having, having, you know, qualified and talented individuals that can help organizations get to value, get to the song they wanted to hear is increasingly relevant. 
That's interesting, yeah. Because certainly my, my experience has been is is, is that um, the people like that would go and join you know, Google or, or or kind of my, you know Facebook and so on. So I, I mean, it's in, it's an interesting one. I mean, I think probably how consultancies and how serve, you know how integrators work in this market is interesting so as more stuff moves to kind of things like machine learning as more stuff moves to hadoop there's going to be some kind of you know low-end work and so on although the cloud obviously will take that away but i think what what a consultancy is and and how you operate in that kind of area and how you would how how you would add value to someone like google or to, to facebook is kind of interesting and and uh, whether it will become less people but more skilled or, or whatever you know I, I don't know on that but so, it's interesting. It's quite encouraging you say that, really. Um, so, so Dan, one other, one other area on that is one thing I've always noticed is that every uh, every one of the uh, the mega vendors or the vendor solutions for SQL on Hadoop is you know it, it works obviously from their product to to SQL to say to, say to, to Hadoop. So your you know big data SQL was Oracle to that. Microsoft One is like that. Do, do you think there's a market, or do you think there's a need for solutions that kind of, in a way, link together, um, you know, different proprietary database engines through to Hadoop, a more kind of like fabric style thing, or is that a problem that doesn't really need to be solved? I mean, did you think about that at all when you were when you were at Oracle? I mean, the, I think the the federation piece is extremely. I think I think when we think about the future of query processing, there, there are two ways to think about it. You can either take the stance that all data will be consolidated in one kind of system, or I think the more, I think the more rational view to take is that data, data will be increasingly federated across many different kinds of storage and processing systems and will occasionally need to be processed in concert. And for, for that reason, I think federation and federation sort of beyond the, 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 the language level is, is, increasingly important it's uh it's a it's you know it, it is something we aimed to solve at oracle in terms of being able to to use a single sql dialect to query beyond sort of the oracle database and in hdfs but reach out to no sql databases it's a problem that that is that is you know relatively well solved at google we have many many internal systems that collect data we can we we can effectively federate across all of these um for our own purposes and and it, it's just i think it's important to understand that ultimately when we talk about finding value from data what we want to be able to do is interrogate the data wherever it may exist with a with a single construct that best suits our workflow and so if sql is the right workflow for me excellent if if you know if a, a declarative scala api is better for you so be it but but i need to get to all the data in the way that best enables me exactly exactly and, and i think certainly from my perspective I and mean, something i've been saying for a while is is that I think that all analytic workloads in the end will move to this kind of platform. I, I think that in time, certainly on the bulk of it anyway, although there'll be this interchange as you kind of said there, but this ability to actually kind of put it in one place and then apply different engines, different languages and so on to it is, is important as well. But then I suppose in a way going beyond the basics of that, I and mean, I noticed there's been some startups recently, um, uh, I think the guy at Vertica sort of did one where, where I suppose in a way looking at say Automagic sort of, uh, I suppose discovery of, of the kind of the, the meaning of data in there and, and schema and that mm -hmm. sort of thing and adding adding smarts to it. I mean, I think certainly at the moment we're plumbing it all together, but going beyond that, you know, I suppose in a way, what do you, if you, if you were to sort of like to look forward to, I don't know, five, 10 years and you saw the kind of analytic platform of the future really, you know, running on, probably the kind of descent of this technology yeah what, what, do, what do you think it would be what would you you know what would you be aiming for if you were doing this really the kind of the next gen analytic and, and integration platform really i mean i think I, I think ultimately just by virtue of its its sort of incredible longevity sql is still probably 
one of the core pieces of how users interface with it. I think that I think the two things that I I suspect will change over the next five to ten years are one, I I think metadata metadata and sort of catalog management will become almost a separate entity, such that you, you may have a service that is a that is we can actually look at you know sort of the Hive Metastore as an early version of this, right? In which we see one catalog which can contain information about data stored in many different places. It may contain it may contain metadata information about data stored in HBase or data stored in HDFS or data stored in another NoSQL database. Um, even now, I think through some of the some of the, the the various APIs, you can actually store data about other RDBMSs in there. Um, I think we'll start to begin to see that as being a much more distinct and separate piece of the process. The other thing, and I think it's I think it's I think it's actually. I think it's incredibly important, and I think it's why I'm so excited about Apache Beam project. Is there's, I think, going to be increasingly as streaming workloads become more interesting to organizations. Uh, I think we will move to a situation in which we stop talking about the difference between batch processing and stream processing, and simply say data exists as a flow, and you can either choose to process it in a fixed batch. You can choose to process it as a window. You can process it in any particular way. And and I think th that sounds a little wild and outlandish at first until you sort of think about transaction logs uh, or redo logs that we would see in Oracle. And in so much as effectively, if you had an infinite redo log, you would be able to slice and dice that as needed to either say, here is a batch of data that I want to process or process the next thing that comes in or process the next five-minute window. And I think we're going to increasingly see systems built around those concepts. I think a lot of the work that's going on in the Kafka space is is really beginning to push this way. Like the guys at Confluent, I think, are doing an interesting job evangelizing some of these concepts. Again, the work that, that Google's doing with the Beam community is very much along the same lines. I think we're going to see that as a as a, a a fundamental shift in the sort of underlying treatment of of data sources. That's interesting, and I mean, I suppose one of the things that I've always been kind of saying is that you know, whilst Hadoop and and, and this kind of world is going to eat into analytic workloads. It sounds very much like it could almost kind of start to eat into what we consider to be normal transaction processing now. It sounds like, you know, you're saying mm -hmm. there that, yeah, that's kind of interesting. And uh, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds a much more kind of, I suppose, bigger goal really, doesn't it, than, than just doing data warehousing better? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think doing data warehousing better is the beginning of it, yeah. right? Because I, I, I think... There are still many of the promises of, of the original data warehousing movement many years ago that, that organizations are still working to realize. But but I think at some point we will end up with enough data and enough desire to look at it in different ways that we begin to change the fundamental model of, well, it's not so much a table as it is a, a table-shaped stream. Mm. Mm. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I, I'm going to obviously approach Gwen at some time and see if she wants to come on the, the, the show as well. It'd be interesting to see, I think certainly from her kind of, uh, this Gwen Shapiro, probably you know, both of us know, mm -hmm. um, working yep. at Confluent. And, and certainly there's a, lot of, there's a lot of parallels really between uh, some of the stuff going on there and what you're doing there and, and general kind of processing of data and, and so on really. So, um, I mean, Dan, that's been fantastic. And I've been, I've been you know, thank you very much for your time on this. It's been really interesting to catch up with you. Uh, I guess it's probably sunny over there, is it, where you are? It's it's pouring with rain over here. It's middle of summer, and it's uh, yeah, and it's pouring with rain. 
<laughs> yes, you've got you've got English summer. I've got California summer, which is just what you would think. 70, 70 degrees Fahrenheit and sunny. I know. So you at Google, it's sunny. I mean, it's you should be over here. It's raining and uh, <laughs> and so on, really. But Dan, that's that's fantastic, and it's been really good to speak to you. And uh, thanks very much for your for your insights there. It's uh, yeah, very interesting what you're doing, and uh, yeah, great to speak to you. So thank you very much, and yeah. th- thank everyone for listening, and uh, and uh, yeah, thanks a lot. Brilliant. Thank you. All right, Mark. Thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Thanks.